0: Welcome to the Northern Overexposure podcast, where we overanalyze the 1990 CBS sitcom Northern Exposure and we try to introduce it to a new person every week, take their input, see how they like it, try to broaden this uh, this TV show to more people.
1: My name is Charles. And I'm Lee. And uh, I've seen the show uh, a number of times. It's one of my favorite shows. And I've
0: never seen this show. Every single episode is the first time I've ever seen it. Yeah.
1: Completely new. Uh, well, I guess we're on episode four now. Uh, Dreams, Schemes, and Putting Greens is the title. Do all of the titles rhyme? Wait, uh, no, they don't. They haven't rhymed, but they have really interesting... What do you think about the titling? I like the titling so far. I like it too.
0: I, I really like it. Um, I, I thought each one rhymed, but then I remembered last <laughs> last episode was Soapy Sanderson. Well, Pilot
1: rhymes with... And there's no other word, I guess, in the title. It's just Pilot. Oh, and that's then, true. Um, brains, Know-How, and Native Intelligence. That's another list title. Yes, yeah, so Sanderson is. is uh, yeah. yeah, so two, two for four. Their lists. <laughs> um, actually, there. I mean, I guess there's. It's not a spoiler because the show has been out for like 20 plus years or something. <laughs> but um, coming up, we have an ep- episode called "Sex Lies and Ed's Tape." So it's another list. Ooh. Um, yeah, get a little raunchy, get a little spicy. Um, but yeah, okay, let's talk about episode four. That's why we're here. Um, Charles, you asked me to kind of like fill you in on. Uh, Credits of this episode. Yes. Um, I don't have a lot for you. Uh, I can tell you that it was written by someone named Sean Clark, who, um, from what I can tell from his Wikipedia, he was like a game designer, a video game designer, working with LucasArts. So, what? It uh, looks like he worked uh, mostly in the early 90s, uh, some mid-90s, and and just from like 1990 to 2000 era-ish, hmm. um, doing uh, video games for LucasArts. This TV show attracts the... Why does gamut of writers? Well, I guess like, I, I mean, I haven't studied any other show. I guess the same way that we're studying this show, um, but I guess I would assume that they probably draw writers from anywhere because I, I don't know how it works, but you could write like a spec script for a TV show, submit it, and if it gets chosen, you know. Though I imagine a lot of shows have writers' rooms, and they probably have like a bible for how the show, show should work. And uh, the, the writers are kind of like working uh, collaboratively in, in some fashion.
0: Yeah, that's what I always thought it would be. But I believe that Sobey Sanderson was written by someone who went on to go, what was he, communications director for Mitt
1: Romney's campaign? He was the top strategist for Mitt Romney's yeah. 2012 presidential campaign. That
0: was it. And now and we uh, now we have somebody who's- um, A video game designer. For
1: Lucas Hearts. Yeah. yeah. Well, damn it? the only other credit I can give you, Dan Lerner, is the name of the director of the episode. Um, his, uh, all I can find, well, in my very brief research is- uh, He's a director of TV, um, director and producer of TV shows, and he's still working today on shows like Nashville and Salvation, I guess, unless the, those shows, I think I've ended in 2018. Um, so just like a TV director, you know, bouncing around shows, uh, some notable series, uh, House, he was a consulting producer on House, oh. MD. Um, apart from that, I mean, we got our same old cast of Sicilians, mm-hmm. Sicily, Alaska, um, But yeah, let's dive in. Yeah, let's get into it. Oh, so this is an episode that, uh, unlike the other ones, like this episode doesn't start with the theme song. You're right. The only other episode to do this is the pilot. It doesn't start, the pilot doesn't start with the theme song. Um, It's the show, this episode opens with um, Joel, like you said, he's kind of like in this wilderness area, beautiful sort of like skylines and mountains, and he's uh, doing some golf playing some golf. Oh, well, he's trying it.
0: to play some golf. Yeah. Uh, he is being very unsuccessful at it, and he almost hits Ed.
1: Yeah, he sees Ed uh, walking up, uh, I guess, the path um, in the direction that he just hit his golf ball, and he's screaming, four, four, and Ed's got, like, his Walkman on. There's no way going to no oh, he hear it. Oh,
0: 20, man, 27 years before the AirPod memes. <laughs> <laughs> really they were ahead of their times uh, yeah <laughs> but it almost hits Ed but Ed realizes you know um, well
1: apparently Ed saw it you know he was like yeah because yeah. Joel's like are you crazy like I almost hit you he's like yeah I saw it it uh, kind of veered off a little that way and um, I, I don't know if there's like an insinuation that Joel is a bad golfer but I don't know if we can necessarily divine that from this episode, but he certainly doesn't win in this e- like he there's some golf in this episode we can say and uh he's not a winner. No, <laughs> no.
0: Well, I think he talks about it too, saying that at his stage of life, he should be yeah, you know be like the-
1: in New York and yeah. with some like fancy doctors, you know, it's like my colleagues essentially are probably approaching the fourth hole on some amazing golf course right now and I'm stuck in this, you know, this right. I'm, st- I'm stuck in this middle of, small, nowhere.
0: middle of nowhere town and, you know, he's just, uh, not doing well on golf. Uh, but I think that the beginning of this, what, what do you call the, the scene right before the credits, the opening credits? What would you call these types of scenes?
1: I've always referred to that as the opening gambit. So this opening episode gambit. is one of the only episodes I, that I've seen so far that has an opening gambit, I guess, apart from, uh, the pilot. Um, also, I've noticed none of the episodes uh, have a title. I don't. I don't know that a lot of shows would do this anyway, but they don't have like a text title. Like the name "Dreams, Schemes, and Putting oh. Greens" doesn't appear on screen.
0: That ever. doesn't have. I mean, I think they stopped doing that for a while. Yes. Yeah. I think they were doing that in like the nineteen fifties. Maybe. Would have, yeah. like,
1: maybe. Like I think MacGyver might do some of that. I can't. I know like Tales from the Crypt does it often, but the only reason I bring it up is because. You know, we're talking about the titles. I, I think they have some pretty uh, some pretty like elaborate titles, some flowery titles, you know. And uh, I guess like you would only see that in a TV Guide magazine, you know, back in the day, like TV Guide. Uh,
0: That's true. You wouldn't even be able to you know. look it up. <laughs> <laughs> um, so basically, it's we're setting it up and we can tell that, as per usual, Joel is just complaining about the way life is in Sicily.
1: Yeah, not a fan of Sicily. Um, and we dive into it. Uh, Maurice is introducing our subplot with the uh, Japanese businessmen. Or actually, I don't know like what you would classify as subplot, but it's one of our plots. Is immediately established. Uh, Maurice is driving around in his um, Cadillac, his gold Cadillac, and he's got two Japanese businessmen with him. Uh, and. You know, they're being welcomed into town by Chris's broadcast. He does a little shout out on air to Ohio Gozaimasu or something like that.
0: Yes, I think he's saying... uh, Mm -hmm. I I think he's just saying hello. I I, I didn't translate it, but I I think he's saying hello. Yeah, Yeah, I I recognize one of the words and I'm pretty sure it's hello. But yeah, immediately we can tell that one of them cannot speak English. The other one's the translator Mm -hmm. and they're just talking. And then the one that cannot speak English... Has a little car sickness. Just pukes all in the car.
1: I think a a, a, he puke. Yeah, he he does a little puke outside of the car. I think a lot of this episode is Maurice trying to present uh, um, sort of this um, air of calm, and he's in control of the situation. And obviously, from the very first scene that we're introduced, Maurice is trying to. just trying like to a, woo them, trying to woo them, and appear like everything's good. But obviously, this business, this Japanese businessman, is like vomiting. There's, there's going to be some chaos introduced to this, uh, this sort of, sort of business dealing that they're, that they're going to get themselves into.
0: Yeah. So the B plot is essentially these Japanese moguls or people just of significant money. They're trying to build a fancy new resort, and they might choose Sicily uh, as Sicily, Sicily the as the location. new place. Uh, What I was surprised about is that Maurice is in favor of commercial real estate. I would have thought he wanted to preserve the city the way it was like he liked it um, the way that it is. And he doesn't want Mm -hmm. to change anything about it. I'm surprised that he wants to introduce
1: a whole new place to it. um, Well, let's see. I can't entirely remember what happened in the previous episodes, but I know there's a line about um, might be in the pilot episode where Maurice is talking about um, how he sort of like helped I don't know if he founded this town. No, he did not found found uh Sicily, but he kind of like started to bring in more money. Obviously, he's like a very rich man mm-hmm. and he set up his uh the first thing he did was set up communications, you know, K Bear. Um because I think I think it's kind of baked in from the pilot that Maurice wants to turn Sicily into kind of a booming town. Alaska is the the last frontier in his uh in his mind and he thinks that it's um prime real estate for, you know, it can be a big city like Anchorage, but it just hasn't gotten there yet. Oh, okay.
0: It was it actually Maurice who got, who found Joel. I can't remember. Um, He's the one that holds him to his word. Yeah.
1: Maurice is the one uh, who's kind of in charge of like keeping, uh, he doesn't want Joel to leave. He's kind of like, he's a big sort of antagonistic force in the sense that Joel is trying to escape his, his service. uh, And Maurice is not going to let that happen. Maurice is very happy to have, um, a very talented doctor in his city. And he thinks that'll, obviously, like he thinks having a, t- a nice doctor in town will make it more of a civilized- race profile, yeah, race the profile. Yeah, raise the profile. Though I think in a later episode, Maurice does say he got like his pick of the litter. Um, I'm jumping ahead because mm-hmm. I've been watching some episodes. Uh, <laughs> I couldn't help myself. I had been watching ahead. But um, I think we, we can't tell from this episode, but in future episodes, Maurice says he did pick Joel for the job. Oh,
0: okay. That makes that, that makes
1: might more have sense. had some say, and uh yeah. So he
0: go, is the person that's just trying to turn this small little town into uh putting it on the map. That's what he's trying to do, right there. So I
1: that, think exactly. Yeah. Yes. And so that this is, is his big break, getting a uh, a lot of you know wealthy Japanese business businessmen to come in and set up shop. So he's trying to um trying to sell them hard. Yeah. Um. In in the midst of this. Uh. You know, we kind of get another plot early on in the episode. Uh, Shelly is visiting Joel Fleischman in his office. Uh, She's got a doctor's appointment, and it turns out that she's pregnant. Um, She did one of those, like, pregnancy tests, Mm -hmm. and it can be confirmed. Like, you know, Joel's like, you know, I guess, you know, we don't have to necessarily... We don't have an ultrasound here. Yeah, but I could infer that you're probably pregnant.
0: Yeah. She's in her first trimester, and... I think she knows it too. It's not like it comes off as a huge surprise to her. She's like, oh my God, I can't believe that. You know, like She just she just kind of knows. She just wanted to see it in a way. And then Joel gives her advice. And I thought one of the interesting lines that he told her was that he was telling her to eat her vitamins, you know, don't drink, don't smoke. Mm-hmm. And then she asked, well, can I still have sex? And, and he said, I,
1: uh, She says, um, so sex is out? And he says, only for me. Yes. Because so, <laughs> I guess it's, uh, I don't really... I guess the my interpretation of that line is he feels stranded and like alone, and his fiance's is like all the way in New York, and he sort of has a life of celibacy ahead of him.
0: Yeah. Uh, What a strange thing to say to your patient, though.
1: Yeah. (laughs) No, yeah, that line didn't really jog for me. Uh, There is also sort of like a side skirted, like a sidestepped mention towards abortion. Yeah. In the scene, I can't remember exactly. I just wrote there was.
0: What is it? What does he say? If I remember correctly, he says, well, um, would you like to, and then she cuts him off and says, no, no. No. Yeah. <laughs> and then he finishes it and says, take off your coat.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Cause he
0: has to do a physical examination. Oh,
1: um, I, I take it this is an unplanned pregnancy. Do you want
2: to? No. No, what? What were you going to say?
1: I was going to say, do you want to take your coat
2: off? Oh, okay.
1: Yeah. It's, it's obvious. Uh, I guess the, the vibe is, um, it's a little awkward because Shelly doesn't know how to approach pregnancy. And uh, it's kind of awkward talking to Joel about it. Mm-hmm. So maybe she misinterprets his, um, you know, his simple intentions, just take off your coat. She's like, no, <laughs> no, no, of course not. She doesn't, you know, they don't really say abortion, but you can kind of infer that from the conversation. Yeah. Um, and while this is happening, we come kind of uh, as we were talking about the Japanese businessman, um, that plot sorts of, sort of reenters because as he's uh, dealing with Shelly, um, Maurice has brought in the sick businessman who was throwing up uh, out of his car. And he's like, come on, you got to check this guy out. He's sick with something.
0: And that's how Joel gets introduced. Yeah. He gets uh, roped into this plot line because... Joel wants to be the attending physician.
1: Yeah, Joel like resort. Joel has this dream of uh if it's a very fancy resort, they're going to need an attending physician and Joel's like I'll do it for peanuts. Like I like anything to get out of this kind of like hick town. Mm-hmm. Um cuz you know, I imagine like a resort doctor is sort of on vacation a lot of times essentially. You know, you know he he li- he works <laughs> out of a resort, it's probably really fancy and got Also,
0: some- the injuries wouldn't be that bad. Like the worst injuries that you what uh
1: yeah, like pulled your back a lot yeah. from golfing, yeah.
0: like, like resort related injuries, not like you're having to go, uh, check out homicides a lot or oh, true. anything yeah. like that. And like people
1: shooting each other and stabbing each other, which we saw a little bit in the first episode and, you know, probably not dealing with like a uh, badgers or whatever. Beavers. Yeah. Like, you know, <laughs> probably has a little, um, higher, higher clientele. class cli- clientele. Patients. Um, I didn't want to, I also didn't want to skip over. So Joel does, um, kind of check out the Japanese businessman. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I thought it was funny cause it's right after he checks on Shelly and he kind of does like the same procedure. I'm not a doctor, so I don't know how you would go about diagnosing, uh, different ailments, but Joel just kind of like rubs everyone's tummy. And he's like, <laughs> until, Joel can just like rub your tummy and tell you what's wrong with you. He does a little bit of that, like tapping, you know, how you can like tap on, a. Uh, body part to kind of tell what's wrong. And then he does a little bit of tummy rub and Joel can, you know, that's what they teach you in med school, I guess.
0: Uh, Yeah. That's how you can find every single disease. (laughs) That's how he does it. So he finally learns that that's what they're up to. He wants to get into it. Uh, and then, yeah.
1: Oh wait, let's not skip. I, I have a note about some set dressing. Uh, Oh yeah. Whenever Maurice, um, mentions it, Joel pulls him aside and he's like, wait, can we talk about this? Cause this sounds like something I'd be very much into. Uh-huh. Um, Joel takes Maurice into his office and they kind of talk, um, privately. Um, one of my favorite things, I don't know if we've seen it yet in the previous episodes, but there's a clear shot of it in this scene, in this episode, um, on the back of Joel's office door, there's a calendar, a Clico club calendar. It's always there throughout like the entire series. Clico club is this old fashioned sort of like soda company, I guess, drink company. But I've always wanted to find that specific, like, I'm trying to figure out like what day, cause the artwork on it is, um, I guess it's just, like, a picture of, like, these, like, two kids or something. Is it very retro? Um, it's retro style. Let me see what the... Well, oh, you know what's funny? Uh, the Clico Club sort of mascot is, I'm just looking it up, is an Eskimo boy.
0: Oh, is this so, the, an Alaskan, like, a regional soda? Uh,
1: I, think it, I think it was uh, started in Massachusetts. Massachusetts? Um, so, no, not necessarily, but I guess it does fit it's on topic in the sense that the mascot is sort of like this Eskimo boy. Oh, Um, but I don't know. I've always, I've watched the show a lot. So I've seen that artwork on that calendar so many times. Uh, I just really want to find, I've tried, I've searched eBay. Maybe (laughs) it's time for me to go back and do some more searching, but I've always wanted that particular uh, calendar that's hanging on the back of his door. What a nice
0: memorabilia to have. I actually, speaking on that, this episode has a lot of references to dated products or
1: just just one oh, yeah. that we
0: don't see a lot. Uh, I think one of the towelettes, they call a, uh, what is
1: it called? A wet and dry? Oh, crap. I didn't write that down, but that's uh, that's what um, Shelly mentions to Joel. He's washing his hands, and she says, um, I wonder how many times you wash your hands a day? And he's like, that's a good question, you know? Mm-hmm. Depends on the, the amount of patience that he sees. Um, and she mentions that, whatever it is, it's like, I guess you would, is it the kind of like towelettes that you use when you're eating yeah. like hot wings or something? Yeah. It's what they use at the brick, I assume, to wash that. Yeah, hands. they
0: call it a wet and dry. And then they talk about SureShot, which is this old Canon camera that was able to t- pretty much take the what the modern day equivalent of a selfie would be. Like it's a self-timer camera.
1: Oh, is it like a Polaroid or is it just kind of like it has a timer on it? just it? has a timer on it, I believe.
0: It's not a Polaroid, so it wasn't an instant camera.
1: Yeah. SureShot and- is uh uh, oh, spoiler alert. Yeah. There's a wedding in this episode. The sure shot is referenced whenever it's like a wedding photo. Yeah. Then. And the we'll, father is we'll out there. take a sure shot. Yeah. Yeah. Don't worry. We'll, we'll, we'll send him a sure shot. He, he wasn't able to come to the wedding.
0: Yes. Um, and then there was another product. Uh, I just can't remember it, but this whole episode is scattered with just references to very dated products. Dated right as in
1: like nineties or pre nineties. Uh, both. Yeah. Both. I guess Clico is probably pre nineties too. I don't know when they were operational, if they still are. Um, they were defunct in 1980, so at the time of, you know, shooting the show, mm-hmm. it's just like an old calendar that was probably left because you know, uh, Joel's office is operating out of the Northwest Mining Company or something. It's this old storefront building. Yeah. So they probably, whenever Ed was fixing it up and turning it into an office, they probably mm-hmm. just pulled out all these like uh, old um, decorations from the from the closets or. Whatever <laughs> was in it.
0: Um, and speaking about things being outdated or just running its course, uh, skipping a little bit ahead, the Japanese business workers, they're going to, they want to watch the Kemper open, which oh, is a yeah. golf tournament. It's a golf.
1: Does that not exist anymore? That not does, golf no, it
0: stopped no existing since 2006, I okay. want to say. So everything about this is really, uh, it's pretty dated. It's an yeah. old show.
1: Uh, this I assume would have been shot, uh, sometime in the summer of 1990, just looking at the uh, like the deleted scenes and sort of mm-hmm. like the 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 air date of this episode. Let's look at when when did this episode air? Yeah, That's another thing I can usually find that. Um, so original air date August second, nineteen ninety.
0: So it would have been uh, filmed in January, I assume. January? No, probably like July. Really? You think they filmed it that?
1: Well, what was interesting is I remember, I recall on Soapy Sanderson, that aired on July 26th mm-hmm. and I saw some of the deleted scenes footage on the DVD. Uh, it had a slate with the date like June 16th or something. They so maybe like a that month close? before. Well, for the pilot, it was probably just a pilot for a while. Right. And then once it got picked up, they're like, let's just shoot them and, you know, churn them out. I'm yeah, surprised I, at that. I imagine they can get an episode done in a, in a week. They it's can. That's typically how TV shows will work, I, I assume. Like a uh, week an episode
0: modern TV television shows they actually shoot a little bit, they they shoot multiple episodes at, yeah, a, at a time, time for a sure, time. but usually months ahead of when they're going to air. Mm-hmm. From my understanding, well, there may be a difference for other television shows, but I'm surprised that this one airs so quick.
1: Yeah, I actually was surprised too when I saw that, but I'm pretty sure it was like June 6th or something. I don't know. Yeah, it was a the slate has the date on it. Um, I'll look at the I'll show you the still afterwards, mm, um, okay.
0: Uh, but going back in, we see that Maggie has to comfort or at least guide Shelly on what to do. Oh yeah. She's like the big sister.
1: Yeah. This scene opens up with like just a shot of an 18 wheeler driving down, I guess, main street Sicily. And then it pans over and Maggie and Shelly, as you said, are talking about their feelings. Something that one of our guests brought up, Mm -hmm. uh, Beal loved how the show is just people talking about their feelings. Um, I wanted to ask you about this because you're a big fan of uh, Alison Bechtel and you know, like the Bechtel test. Yeah. This this scene would not pass the Bechtel test, would you say?
0: It would not. And if I, if it I'm feels, right on this, this is the first scene exclusively that's just two uh, female women. characters talking to each other, right? You're
1: probably right. Yeah, I I, I don't know that I've seen two scenes with just. Like no other, like no men in the scene. Yeah, and they're just talking about relationship between Shelly and, and men Holland. And, and all that. yeah, Maggie's like um, trying to give her advice on how to break the news that she's pregnant. It's like I mean, if he's a romantic type, you know, tell him over a candlelit dinner. If he's a musician, bring him to a concert. And it just seems like. It seems, I don't know if this is how women talk. I don't think it is. I can't imagine. It seems very fake. I feel like this scene was written by a man. And uh, if Sean Clark did write the entire episode, then...
0: It was written by a man. <laughs> yeah. uh, for those of you who don't know, the Bechtel test is this uh, theory that, or test, that any two women that are in a scene by themselves, if they don't talk about uh, their romantic male partners or anything about men in general, like in a romantic context, then it's going to pass the Bechdel test.
1: Yeah. So it's like a good sort of like pH for, um, quote unquote,
0: well-rounded female characters, well-rounded
1: sort of like feminist. Um, and, and there are a lot of great feminist works that don't necessarily pass the Bechdel test, but Mm -hmm. it's just a good sort of like quick, uh, quick meter to like kind of determine it's like well this if they're talking about if the only thing they're ta- ever talking about mm-hmm. is men and uh the, you know their love life with men it's probably not ca- a well-rounded character <laughs> yeah the this characters deserves are just serves to yeah. only
0: uh further they're like uh, uh what the is the male
1: it counterparts or you know yeah there's
0: like an object almost at this point yeah what was really curious about this uh is that alison bechdel the test whom it's named after she had come out on record and said well i had made this test because it was just something curious that I caught on to. I wasn't really making a commentary on how it was imbalanced and it turned out it was and it illuminates it. But when I was making this test, I was simply just pointing something out. I didn't mean for
1: this to even be picked up. She probably yeah, She probably just like for fun was like, Oh, you know, it's kind of a joke. And then, the more and more she watched movies. It was like, wait, this is hap- This is actually wait, a thing. This I is caught like a 95% to. ratio. Yeah. This is terrible. <laughs> yeah.
0: But no, I think this is the first thing that has, uh, just two, uh, women talking and they're just talking about how to handle the pregnancy. Uh, and then she convinces them. She says like, you know, you just go straight forward.
1: Just go up to him. Tell him. Yeah. And, uh, what do you think about the uh, proposal scene? Cause, uh,
0: I thought it was hilarious. Pretty, pretty immediately
1: after this, ha- Hauling proposes to Shelly.
0: Yeah. And then she just says, Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I was just, we can edit this out, but we can probably like edit not oh, put yeah. the sound clip <laughs> of that in there.
1: Yeah. Ha- but I guess Holling gives her sort of like this, you know, a very um, long winded speech of sorts. And she has a quick, a quick, uh, quippy reply. Yes. And it's and beautiful. It, it's happy, you know, it
0: is, but in off in the corner, uh, Maurice is soaking.
1: Oh yeah. So, um, I think, I guess they probably do a little bit of exposition in this episode. Uh, but from the pilot, Maurice, uh, apparently had a thing for Shelley and, uh, Shelley fell in love with Holling instead. And this is what's going to, uh, kind of be the biggest factor that sours the business dealings is Maurice sees that, uh, hauling and Shelley are going to get married, that Shelley is pregnant with Holling's baby. Mm-hmm. And that just throws his whole world for a loop. Um, I just want to say this is kind of uh, maybe maybe my least favorite episode of the four that that we've started watching. Mm-hmm. I Why? it's kind of hard. I don't. It's kind of hard to kind of like comfort up to the idea of like Shelly and these older men. It's very strange to me. And it's all, I mean, obviously, Hauling is really old. I think we find out in this, in this episode, he's like 63, 68, or something ridiculous. Definitely not 68. I want to say it's 62 or 63. He's 62. As yeah, I wrote yeah. it down. Yeah. And Shelly's, I don't know. 18, how, I think. Is she 18 in
0: this? Okay. That's what I wanted to talk about. Because there's a line in there where Joel says, well, she's uh 18, you know. And Joel just says said, it too. Yeah, I, don't, I, I, I don't remember, mm-hmm. but I, I remember him saying 18, but I don't know if they meant it like she started going out with Hauling when she was 18 and she's now 21 uh, or if she's actually 18 now,
1: which if that is the case. How, how, speaking on that, I think Shelly uh, and Hauling probably haven't been together for super long because later in this episode, um, Maurice meets Shelly and he said he's been waiting for like Six months, maybe it's maybe it's a little over a year, but I don't I think they've, I think like
0: it's definitely not super long that
1: they've been yeah. together.
0: And I was already that, getting married, but I would agree with you. I do think it's something very, very it's a little uncomfortable, for it's
1: me. very uncomfortable, even at
0: 1990. And, I would still say it was kind of uncomfortable, yeah, no,
1: for sure. And um, maybe that's partly why I don't like this episode a whole lot. Um, I seem to remember, I mean, I've seen the show a lot and I, I always liked. I love Hauling, I love Shelly. And the relationship is a little uncomfortable to see unfold. But hopefully, this show being sort of a progressive 90s show, I don't I can't recall it. It's been a while since I've watched it. But hopefully, hopefully they do some well-intentioned uh sort of dynamics between that relationship, Hauling and Shelly. I mean, they're a couple for the whole series. So let's kind of like, let's come back to this as we watch more episodes and kind of kind of like decide is this uncomfortable is this cool is this progressive
0: uh i would say i mean i don't think my opinion is going to change yeah uh, i think that it, honestly the i, I know that it's two consenting adults and, and there's mm-hmm. nothing illegal about it but he is that's triple the age right Almost triple. Oh God! Yeah. yeah. If she is eighteen, I did not know she was eighteen until this episode,
1: or at least I don't, even, I don't know if that's true because I don't remember that. But it's been a while that I. It's been a while since I've watched this episode. She can't be
0: much more older than eighteen. Though. Yeah, she's like, probably in her twenties. She is like twenty-one 20s. at
1: most. You could be right.
0: So twenty-one. one, let, let's still three times. Yeah. Let's give her the widest gamut that we can. <laughs> it's twenty-one years old, and he's sixty-two years old, and she's pregnant, and she's gonna have the child. Realistically. And I know that in this episode, uh, Holling says that him and his father and his father's father lived to about 100, 104 yeah, years old. Lot,
1: there's a lot of longevity in Hollings in the Vincour bloodline.
0: Yeah, in the bloodline, but uh, that's he has a sample pool of two. I don't think that's enough to make a scientific uh, basis out of that. He could realistically just die at 70 leaving a 10-year-old son.
1: I don't uh, believe that. I think, he's, I think he's got the longevity.
0: You think he's going to make it to he's 104? Gonna, yeah,
1: he's already 62 and... You know,
0: still still fathering
1: um, child with children. <laughs> well, yeah. If you're like if if hauling and Shelley make you uncomfortable in this episode, Maurice and Shelley will just like make you vomit. This oh, is there like, was a
0: scene. Uh, I mean, yeah, should we just talk let's about this? Go scene into quickly? that. Like, yeah, I wrote just,
1: down. Um, so there's there's a scene where she. Um, we already know that Hauling is proposed to Shelley. Shelley meets up with Maurice to ask him to sing at the wedding. Yes,
0: and uh, Joe and Maurice in the middle of this episode, we're They're, talking about the state of the relationship and Maurice says, you know, one day Shelly's going to come knocking on my doorsteps by herself and she'll have come to her senses. And just as he says that later in the episode, the exact scenario happens. So
1: yeah, Maurice is expecting this. He has his own sort of like fantasy of what's supposed to happen. And um, obviously, Shelly does not want to pursue a romantic relationship with Maurice. I mean, why would you? Sort of like this Claude of a character. Also she's about to get married to hauling. Uh, yeah. she just wants him to sing she just wants Maurice to sing at the wedding and Maurice uh, is almost like a little pouting like kid like a child and doesn't want to accept this, yeah. and
0: hey, well before I get into that really quickly, is that not what the dream scenario is
1: for every dumpy like the, dumpy? The, 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 oh du- person who is dumped
0: the person who is yeah. dumped. To have the person come back to their doorsteps and pretty much beg for them to come back. Yeah. That's I, like the dream scenario and that's what he wants. And it's such a, that's such a flighty
1: dream. Like it's actually really yeah, terrible yeah, to actually it's, want. No, it's horrible. I, I wrote down, how did this get put on paper, then filmed? Then how did they, how did this scene get ma- make it into the cut? Like they had to write this, then they shot it. And while they were on set and he was saying this, these lines are disgusting. It's like, "Come home to daddy." Yes, is that is says. the
0: exact line that he thinks is gonna hook her back in. Yeah, like that's why? the line. Ugh. That's disgusting.
1: Like I, <laughs> I'm not. Yeah, not the biggest fan of. I'm. I'm really glad. I. I hope that. Uh, as far as I can remember, the sort of love triangle that has been established in the pilot and uh, brought back in this episode between Maurice. Hauling and Shelly, I hope that it's dead after this episode because I'm not a fan yeah. of this weird alderman like fawning over this this uh, uh, no, Northwest very Passage young contestant.
0: Woman. And she's almost just an object at this point for them to <laughs> go and have it. Yeah. That's probably, you're right, this is my least liked uh, part of Northern Exposure so far. Though A what, my favorite quote so far mm-hmm. has come out of this scene. So oh, let's geez. get some silver okay. linings out of this. What, what is it? So she's uh, leaving and she's trying to convince Maurice to go see him at the wedding. But before yeah. she leaves uh, and she rejects him, she tells him you can't keep walking around carrying a blowtorch for me when I'm walking around carrying little hauling junior. You like nice that? Nice little wordplay right there. Yeah. And I like that. And I like, it's a lot of things to unpack Yeah, usually the expression is carrying around a torch. Yeah. She blowtorch. torch. She's, she's
1: kind of like uh updated it to her kind of like, Cool, youthful—the oh, you know, way think of, of speech. It that way. Yeah, I, I thought so. that she was trying to up the language, like. And it's like it's more than a torch. Obviously. Yeah, it's more
0: than a torch. Mm-hmm. This is like a modern day equivalent of it's like Able. a flamethrower. You can't yeah. just like
1: blow this flame for me. Exactly,
0: um, that's what I thought she was talking about. And no, then, for sure. Uh, I guess they 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 say it's going to be Holling Jr. because she already determined the sex.
1: Um, oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. Did, they, did they determine if it was a boy or a girl on this episode? They on did screen?
0: not. Yeah. Well, yeah. I guess off-screen they did, but. Can uh, I,
1: Okay, well, she's in
0: her first trimester, so I really don't think you can get the gender. Yeah. that early.
1: I was gonna say, so Junior refers to like taking the father's name. Yes, is there something for like if you take the mother's name? Like if if Shelly had a baby and it was called Shelly, does that happen? Oh my God, does I that ever happen I've never in history? About that. Has anyone ever done that? What would that even be called? <laughs> is it Junior? Is it Shelly Junior? But no, has any like child been named after their mom? I've heard of
0: it. I've definitely heard of it saying like I was named after my aunt or I was named yeah. after my grandmother. I've definitely heard of that's that. That's so
1: weird because Junior but, as like a, a son taking his father's yeah, name is very common.
0: That's very common. Wow. I don't even know if it's still called Junior and I feel really bad for not knowing
1: this knowledge. I feel like this is. Well, I don't. I don't think it's. I'm convinced that has never happened in human history. It's definitely yeah. happened. It's
0: definitely happened. Exactly. I know that. I know
1: people who have been named after, after their mom, after their aunts I'm or talking about their mom, though. That's what I'm saying. Well,
0: grandmother's just a mom's mom. It's just mom yeah. squared. <laughs> mom squared. A junior squared. Really? Um, not much
1: more different. But, all right. We're kind of jumping around. Should we Should we yeah, try yeah, to get back to the plot back. Let's go back, let's go back. Um, um, a little bit. Well, we get the idea. Maurice is kind of like trying to woo and court these Japanese businessmen. This wrench is thrown into his plan when he finds out that Shelly is marrying Hauling. He's utterly depressed by it. He's lost all sort of drive and um, initiative in this business dealing. And so Joel ha- really has to kind of pick up the slack. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're trying to have this um, formal business meeting at, at uh, Maurice's house, uh, whining and dining, kind of drinking sake. Um, and Maurice is drinking himself into like this drunken stupor with, I think it's, is it whiskey or what is he drinking? Bourbon or something? Something uh, very American, obviously. He doesn't want to drink sake. Yeah.
0: He's I want to say so pitiful. it's uh, whiskey. whiskey. I want to say what he's drinking.
1: Yeah. Bourbon, whiskey. I, I don't know. And uh, Maurice basically makes a fool uh, out of himself and kind of offends uh, these Japanese businessmen. Joel has to sort of like, you know, sweep things under the rug and kind of like make, make appearances Um, And this is where you mentioned uh, the Japanese businessmen are interested in golf. Yes. And the very next scene, we kind of get this swooping uh, sukiyaki, that like famous like Japanese karaoke song that you hear a lot in movies and TV. Um, You know, that's the score that sweeps us into this next scene Mm -hmm. where they're laying out AstroTurf for uh, an 18-hole golf course or just like a a nice golf, you know, sort of like golf course equivalent. Um, sort of the same location as our first scene where Joel was sort of just playing golf in the wilderness, except now Ed had this great idea to like roll out sort of like this carpet of astroturf. And um, it's a really great shot. I think it's sort of like this Um, you know, we follow along, uh, Joel and Ed um, are getting this golf course set up. And there's all these workers, it's sort of like a walk and talk shot. And what's great is we got Joel and Ed in the foreground. And then we have like, as they're walking, and they're essentially walking down the the main stretch of the golf course. And as they move, we see all these workers in the background kind of shuffling back and forth. And like a lot of, it's, it's a great shot that establishes sort of like a lot of uh, construction and like progress that's happening. Um, the music is great. Gives it a nice vibe. Yeah. I didn't even know about that song. I didn't pick it up. Mm-hmm. Um, do you know that? Do you know of that song? Or- no, I do not. Oh yeah. It's like, it's this classic, uh, sort of like Japanese. I, I associate it with karaoke. I'm not exactly mm-hmm. sure where it came from or how it became popular. I don't even think the song is called, actually called Sukiyaki. Like it's originally something else, but I guess it's just like an American, Americanism where like they sort of put their own name to the song. It's like a famous, I guess, ah. Japanese uh, tune, uh, melody.
0: Well, this was actually something I wanted to talk about. Yeah. Um, now that we brought up uh, something of similar nature to that. I want to know, do you think this ages well with, how it would air today because there's a lot of casual jokes to them being Japanese.
1: Oh yeah. And what do you think as an Asian, what do you, uh, what is your read on this? Well, I'm not Japanese and I'm Chinese. (laughs) So
0: like it didn't like I wasn't personally offended. Like it didn't hurt me, but then I remember thinking that and I'm wondering why. And then I realized like, Oh, well try flipping the script. Try saying if like they were talking about eating dogs or, building uh phones at very low like it's uh child labor i guess like if they were flipping jokes like that yeah. then i might be a little bit well, what, are but, jo- what
1: are some of the what are some of the well that's the thing is that what do very, they say in this episode they're very small ones like yeah. they're
0: nothing in which like you would necessarily call a negative stereotype uh-huh. like they would they drop a lot of references to them like in sushi
1: yeah uh, and sumo like, wrestlers i love sushi it's like yeah. hey let me tell you something i love sushi yeah and I they say a bunch sushi. of
0: those uh types of uh, references
1: and you just kind of like stereotyping is yeah and you
0: could make an argument and say like well they genuinely do eat uh sushi and they do watch sumo wrestling and they do all these things it's it's not but it's like
1: it's almost like a little prejudiced in a way like they're kind of assuming that these japanese businessmen fit into sort of their definition of what a japanese person should be
0: i know they weren't I knew they weren't going to do this, but I kind of wanted them to. What? When when Joel uh, was introducing the sake to them at the uh, at Maurice's house, mm-hmm. I almost wanted them to look at him and say like, we don't have to drink sake. Yeah, we can it's drink like, your whiskey. It's fine. Drink, yeah. <laughs> we're in uh, Alaska. We're in America. We're in, yeah, we're in America. We don't have to do this. Yeah. Like, come on, man. Uh, just give me what you got. But the, I mean, I knew they weren't going to do that. So, I mean, I, I I didn't think it was that bad, but I'm, I don't think that would fly very well in today's climate. Mm -hmm. What do you think?
1: No, yeah, I I feel like, uh, I don't know. I don't know if it's necessarily that it wouldn't fly, um, but I definitely don't think that maybe it wouldn't be represented in in the same way. Um, Like, you know, like someone's, typically in media today, someone's skin color and their ethnicity and their race typically doesn't play into their character um, unless it is, I guess, necessarily about their homeland. But, yeah, um, or it's just, yeah. if
0: it's played for like a gigantic comedy uh, relief, yes. something like that. Yeah. But then even then the show would itself but, be comedy. But
1: typically any ethnicity and any skin color um, can play any role. Um, hopefully that's what we're aiming for in today's like you, climate. Yeah, that's what you want. I and mean, you see a little bit more, more of that. Where yeah, like colorblind th- casting. Yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah. Okay. so that's what I was just curious about and, and uh, speaking about that because they just inserted like, a Japanese karaoke song that I mean, mm-hmm. does it really have any bearing on the scene, or is it
1: is just it there simply the Japanese, because it's Japanese? Yeah, exactly. That's what yeah,
0: that's what I wanted to see. But uh, going it's back kind into of like,
1: it. at least it wasn't just like a gong sound effect, you oh, know? Like
0: God, they didn't do any of those. In oh this episode. Jesus! That would have been yeah, terrible. That's, the,
1: that's like the sign of uh sort of like stereotyping Asians, like yeah, in the, in the most negative way, is just putting in like a gong sound effect. <laughs> or if there's like an Arabic person, you get like the. Like sort of like the Arabic chanting in yeah, the background. The Arabic that's just that the most offensive Jesus. representation uh, um of face races.
0: Yeah, yeah, on the scene they're just laying AstroTurf, and I'm glad they paid we went back to it at the end of the episode, but I was just thinking to myself, is it uh is it even practical to lay up that much AstroTurf? Like, it's yeah. out there in the open. It's not in an indoor facility of any kind.
1: Yeah. Out
0: there in the open, it's just AstroTurf laying down uh, almost a mile of it. Yeah, like it's, it's really It's long. a lot
1: of track, as we explained in that kind of tracking shot where they're walking and we're talking. Yeah. They do a lot of moot. They do. They cover a lot of ground there. But, yeah, you did say they bring it up later in the episode. Um, it Starts they, going mildew. Yeah, things are sort of like falling apart for Joel. And to put a cherry on top, Ed, comes up i think this is at the end of the episode and he's like um the golf course is like you said it's picking up some mildew and joel's just like oh what are we gonna do <laughs> and ed's ed's like i guess we could just worry about that in the morning because things are sort of piling up on top of joel
0: yeah and i mean adding to joel trying to broker this business deal mm-hmm. um subbing in for Maurice. He's also being best man.
1: Yes, so I think it's actually in the scene too, uh, sort of closing out the scene, Maggie drives up and she notifies Joel that he has been enlisted as the best man at the wedding. Maggie is the maid, maid of, of honor. honor. Yeah, um, and it's there's a really funny um, sort of exchange in this scene that I love.
2: Oh, what, what's your job title? Maid of honor. Oh, sounds like a heavy load. You wanna pick out the floor, arrangements, choose the color scheme, go over the ceremony with Chris? Go over the ceremony with Chris? He's ordained. Chris is ordained. He answered a classified in the back of Rolling Stone. The
1: back of Rolling Stone?
2: Stop repeating everything I'm saying, Flashman. It's annoying and I'm in a time crunch
1: here. (laughs) Yeah, I just love the uh, kind of back and forth. It's funny writing. And also, I am surprised that you can become ordained by answering an ad in the back of a Rolling Stone. I guess I'm not that surprised. I do have a couple friends who are ordained. uh, Via the internet? uh, I'm not sure how he, he became. It's my friend Brody. should have had Brody on as a guest for this episode because he is ordained. Um, I'll have to ask him like what his process was, but it's not impossible. I think maybe you just take a course or something. No,
0: you can take it online. One of my friends is ordained. In fact, uh, uh, our guest speaker. Is ordained? Yeah, he's ordained. Yeah, Yeah, but he got it via the internet. Like I think it took him five minutes. Yeah. It was insane. But also, I really like that writing of – Saying, stop repeating everything I said. Yeah. I just like that. The, the, like you know that the guy who was writing the script, who's writing that, he was like, Oh, this was good. I'm just gonna pen that line in there. Yeah. You just know it. Uh
1: yeah, it's it's a funny way of hiding in just this the kind of absurd bogus, like Chris is a is a minister as well as being an ex con and a radio DJ. Yeah. Uh, he can
0: do everything. Yeah. He's like Ed, Jack of Scorpio. Yeah. Uh I like how Joel
1: was For it is. I mean, how long do you think he's been in Cecily so far? That's a good question. That's a great question. Um, Man. So we can assume that, you know, maybe we can assume that every season is a year, but there's six seasons of Northern Exposure, and he's only supposed to serve four years. Hmm. Um, I guess since we're on the topic, spoiler alert, I think that is actually how the show operates. At the end of the fourth year... Obviously, he doesn't leave. Um, I, can't, I don't want to tell you why. There might be, you know, okay. there could be any number of reasons, but he has to stay. So we will say that every season is one year. Let's just operate off of that. So probably ha- at most six months at this point, but probably less. Oh. We're doing, you know, for dividing uh, 12 months into eight episodes. How much is that? I got a calculator. I feel like I'm letting down. It's like 1.5 months per... You feel like you're letting down? I'm letting down? down
0: my high school math teacher for not being able to do that yeah, math. come on. I, mean, I wasn't even in I didn't even That's try either. Even, I went straight to the calculator. calculator.
1: <laughs> uh, one and a half months. Listeners, if you got there before us, uh are idiots. Know, good job. <laughs> Why weren't you here? Um, one and a half months per episode. One so. and a half
0: months. So this is one and a half, three months. Almost like four six and, months. And almost yeah. like six months. Yeah. yeah though I would have imagined that he's only been in... From my perspective, yeah. it seems like he's only been there for like two months.
1: Okay, yeah. That's what no, I feel. I could buy that for sure.
0: Yeah, but I like in either two months or six months that he's been in here, he is being in wills, and now he's being best men Yeah, in this town.
1: Yeah, everyone, it's a small town, man. They're very inviting. There's not a lot of people uh, to spread yourself around. So um, Joel being the newest addition, you know, he gets he gets in the wills. He gets in the weddings. Uh, yeah, I don't know if they really justify like why Holling chose Joel as the best man, but I think there just wasn't a lot of people in town, and you know Joel's a nice, Joel's a upstanding member, I guess. They like they like him there as much as he doesn't like being there.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we're gonna get this wedding on the show, and there, you know he goes to this small little white church. Yeah. And pulls up in there, and he's late.
1: Yeah. Oh, well, before we get there, let's talk. No. Let's, because um, I have this written down yeah. really quick. We already talked about it because Holling admits that he's 62 years old. Yes. We get that bit of information because Holling is introduced to Shelling's dad, who has yes. come into town off of some fishing trip to be a part of the wedding. It's beautiful, but it's really funny because, or I guess a little awkward, because Holling could be Shelly's dad's dad, yes. essentially. Um, they seem to hit it off well. You know, they're drinking at the bar. It's just hauling. And uh, I look. I saw it in the credits. Um, Shelly's dad's name in the credits is Gorman Tambo. Because Shelly's name is Shelly Marie Tambo. And Gorman, G-O-R-M-A-N, is what he's credited at in the wow. credits of the show. Gorman. I didn't catch that at all. I thought he said, maybe she said Norman, but maybe she didn't even say his name. I don't think she did.
0: Because I didn't know what yeah. his name was either. Gorman. But...
1: What you With, think of that scene? Yeah.
0: I, first of all, how does Gorman not recognize the mayor
1: of the town? I don't think he's, he's not from Sicily. Gorman's not from Sicily. Is, is that he, what you mean? Oh, you're right. Yeah. He's he had to drive Sicily. in. He had to drive in from a uh, fishing trip. But still. A fishing run. Like, I think that's his job as a fisherman.
0: Yeah. I, I feel like they don't r- talk about that enough in the show. I know that, they, there's a line in is here. is the mayor. Yeah. Holling yeah, is the mayor. I know they oh, talk yeah. about it for a little bit when he's, When he just gets the news that Shelly is pregnant. pregnant. He like breaks a
1: glass and goes outside and Hauling does. Like you hear the sound of a glass shattering and Hauling runs outside and he's just like his head is like between his, uh, like in his lap. He's just got his hands on his head. He doesn't know what to do.
0: Yeah. And he's contemplating how his life decisions got him up to this point. And... (laughs) They, uh, and Maurice
1: the, introduces the, the Japanese, Japanese businessman.
0: And he says, here is our mayor. And he just doesn't respond. He goes, well, that's mostly like an honorary title.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Which, yeah. Like you were saying, like they don't really address the fact that Holling is the mayor. Like that's a big deal, but I mean, maybe it is a little more honorary. Yeah. Uh, and there's there's a no small town. There's of, no huge need for a mayor.
0: Exactly. So he doesn't even realize it, but uh, going back to it, the scene, uh, it ends poorly for Hauling because he tries to get the blessing of...
1: Yeah, he's like, uh, he's like, I would like to ask for your daughter's... Um, I would like to formally ask for your daughter's hand in marriage. Yes. And Gorman just looks at him and he says, how old are you? Uh, I'm 62. And then there's kind of... I don't know if there's a response to there's that. There's not. He just like drinks. Um, yeah, it's a, it's an awkward position.
0: Yeah, and it, it gives him Hauling doubt on whether this is the right path to pursue
1: mm-hmm. of marrying Shelley, So I didn't mean to cut you off. We are going no, no, to okay. the chapel and we got, um, Chris Stevens, um, kind of like officiating and, um, oh, right down here. Oh yeah. It's pretty interesting. So you're saying hauling doesn't show up. Is that what yeah, you're This yeah. is
0: where hauling is a no show to mm-hmm. his own wedding. And, it's supposed to be, and I didn't think about this until Maggie brought it up, but it is Joel's responsibility to watch over the best man. Right. I mean, uh, uh, him being the best man to watch over uh, yeah.
1: the groom. And he totally doesn't Totally drop the, the ball there. Yeah. drops the ball right there. Um, yeah, and uh, I did want to point out in this scene two things. Uh, mm-hmm. The musical soundtrack in the background is like this organ rendition of a popular um, Frank what? Sinatra song. What song was that? My Way. It. Yes. I did it. Oh, I guess I shouldn't sing it because it's- uh, <laughs> Please one, don't take One, I a can't down. sing, and two, uh, it's copyrighted. <laughs> Please don't but take us down, people. It's the- uh, yeah, please don't, t- please don't remove our podcast on copyright claims. Um, no, it's the Frank, Frank Sinatra melody, My Way, and it's played on uh, organ. I recognized the tune and I was like, wait, is that that is My Way. Okay, that's um, what I thought too. I was like, this sounds so familiar. Also, the other thing I wanted to bring up, sorry, about this scene, <laughs> is uh, we get a return of, um, the, I don't know if I mentioned it in uh, the earlier episode. What is the episode where they have the town hall meeting? Is that in Brains? Second know-how? episode.
0: Yeah. Because that's Chris in the morning,
1: whatever he's talking about. Yeah, he's off the radio. Yeah. Um, So there's this kid, there's an amazing like cutaway shot to just this random kid who's just like leaning on the side of a pew. Mm Mm-hmm in that episode and it's just funny because this kid looks really bored and he's like leaning on the side of the pew he's in this chapel doing the same exact thing <laughs> i love it i want to we got to keep an eye out for this oh, uh, chapel to. like I, I i called him pew leaning kid pew leaning kid that's what i wrote
0: that's fantastic and i love that the uh show's bible
1: kept Yeah, that he's like intact you know, when they get the extras in, it's like, all right, you just lean on the pew again. Like, do your thing. <laughs> that's your that's your business. Yeah. Well, Holling is a no-show. And then we... thats Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Don't
0: yeah, know. no, no, it's okay. We skip forward into Shelly's back at work because that's just what you do. Whenever <laughs> you don't get married, you just go back to work. Yeah, I guess. And um, I, I, I guess it's only been a day or so, but Holling comes back. And yeah. when Holling comes back, you know, he obviously... Skirts avoids the big elephant in the room. He's
1: got like his tail between his legs. He's like a little embarrassed Mm -hmm. by, you know, he feels guilty, I guess, as he should, uh, for having stood her up. And I love this scene, the blocking. I love when characters sort of like get to weave through the scenery Mm -hmm. and the way this scene is covered. Um, Obviously, as I said, Hauling is returning sort of with his tail between his legs and Shelly is angry. She throws like a glass at him or a plate or something. Yeah. He has to keep dodging. um, And there's just a great, you know, Hauling uses the space as sort of like cover to hide behind. And Shelling is weaving through like the kitchen and, you know, it's a great use of uh, blocking and scenery, I think.
0: Yeah, I think the camera goes right up to their faces. Oh yeah, one it, end, it ends
1: with them really close. That's yeah. great. Like you know, we, we get um, instead of actually like cutting between shots, um, you know, they sort of like wind up in a very close. Um, but what happens there?
0: Yeah, well, I love the scene, but for a different reason. The when they're having this argument and it's basically hauling, absconding uh, his duties of what yeah. he should have been doing. There's a song playing oh, in the background and a song is called it wasn't god who made honky tonk angels it's a 1952 country song from kitty wells
1: all right did you recognize it or did you just like like it and, i had to look, to look the up the lyrics because
0: i heard one portion of the lyrics ah. saying uh unfaithful men i think was uh, mm. like something i heard and i was like wait what, what's going on here is this subtext and i had to look it up and yes this song is about unfaithful men who in turn make unfaithful women Like Ah, the reason that there's unfaithful women and why women are so jaded is because it was started by men in the first place. And in fact, it has this great stanza that says, it wasn't God who made honky-tonk angels. As you said in the words of your song, too many times married men think they're still single and that's caused many a good girl to go wrong. Nice. And obviously they're playing that song on this scene because... It's Hauling who's causing Shelly to be that angry.
1: Very topical. Do you think um, Chris is broadcasting that on the radio or do you think this is a selection by Shelly that she put on the radio? That's good. I didn't even think of that. I bet it's Chris. Yeah. Oh, so you think Chris? Yeah, because Chris was... It's playing on the radio. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. That's where they get their music, I guess. Yeah, it must be Chris. He's in that... And Doesn't Chris love country? Chris loves country music just as uh Soapy Sanderson in our last episode. This could be uh this could be part of uh Soapy's like famous record collection yeah. slipping into the uh It's
0: all coming along, man. Yeah, it's all coming the, along into the so, regular plays. I love that, and I love that he incorporated that song into
1: this scene, giving it an extra dimension. Yeah, that is a cool little uh under undertone. Um something I noticed in this episode, does Hauling have different colored eyes? Did you notice that? I'm I don't not. know if I, I noticed something different about his eyes in this episode. Um, specifically, I didn't necessarily catch that in the previous episodes. And I guess I'll have to keep keep a watch on that, like to see. Because I wonder, remember how I was saying Holling's character in the pilot mm-hmm. looks radically different than how he does in this episode or any other episode. Like he's kind of more caricatured in the first episode. Yes. Um, so I wonder if maybe different colored eyes is a thing that maybe, I don't know, I'm just going to look out for it. Okay. Did you did you notice anything? I weird? didn't at all.
0: Honestly, I really didn't. I just I noticed his hair was a little bit more wilted. Oh yeah. <laughs> That's all I really noticed from um, hauling.
1: But I didn't notice about the eye color right there. Oh, just another little thing I noticed. Uh when uh Ed is setting up the golf course, we already talked about this, but uh it's a sunny day. You kinda get to see a lot of red uh red coloring in, in uh Ed's hair. Ed has like some red he's, I mean, his hair is obviously black, black. um, but in the sunlight it's got a nice like red shimmer. I don't know if that's the coloring of the film, um, when they shot it or if he actually probably has some red tones in his hair color.
0: That can happen to some hair. Yeah. My, my hair actually does that in very rare circumstances. Mm-hmm. Like if you just, if I'm like out on a beach or something like that, which never happens, uh, my hair can like have like a little bit of like a reddish tilt to it. But yeah, uh, yeah. So she's confronting him about the, yeah. of the marriage and, and then I
1: think, uh, I don't know if this is where you're getting to, but, um, when Maurice hears about sort of the, the wedding failure disaster, he's mm-hmm. sort of in, now, uh, newly reinvigorated yes, um, because, you know, he's happy, I guess that this, this lady that he's holding a blowtorch mm-hmm. for, you know, it's not going to, you know, Holling's not going to get her in the end.
0: Right. And we talked about this earlier how it all plays out, how he's waiting for her to appear at his doorsteps, and she does. And it turns yeah. out
1: we don't need to talk about this again. We don't. i already discussed it. Like, we I'm don't looking at my notes again. Go we ahead.
0: don't have to talk about it, but the ending scene of that is the best it's because the we were scene. talking about those two Japanese businessmen, yeah. how one of them was a translator for the other one. Oh, yeah. Turns out he can also speak English.
1: Yeah. So they both can speak English. And this whole time, um, they were just playing. One of them was playing a little ignorant, just uh, as a mechanism, as, as a as a way, a strategy of hearing Maurice's like Such true a thoughts. Smart. Yeah, yeah. And what happened is, as we said, Shelley visits Maurice. Maurice gets, Maurice gets very creepy, um, and. Ultimately, I guess Maurice does agree to sing at Shelly's wedding.
0: But the reason um, why is because of the Japanese businessman. Yeah, the Japanese
1: businessman, were, they were there the whole time whenever Shelly came over. Mm-hmm. Um, and whenever Shelly leaves, the Japanese businessmen who were there the whole time, they were, overheard all of this. They come in uh, and they're like, all right, we're, we're leaving. We're not going to set up shop here. And what do they say? Or uh, they're essentially like- The
0: one that was faking not being able to speak English, she
1: yeah. says- come on, <sighs> she's just a kid. Just one song. Like just one song, one song. And yeah. walks off. What a great... And so with <laughs> that, with that, essentially, uh, you know, the the plan with the Japanese businessman is severed. And I guess Maurice is, has now agreed to uh, sing at the wedding. Oh, wait, before we jump, because this is we're pretty much close to the end now, uh-huh. but I do want to talk about, there's a scene where Joel... Um, So when Joel asks Maurice if he will sing at Shelly's wedding, I think this is a good example of stale blocking. Like, you know, I'd said I really like the blocking in the scene where um, Shelly is yelling at, hauling and throwing dishes at him. Mm -hmm. This scene is... um, I will give it props for um, it's pretty much all in one shot, which I, I like it when scenes don't cut, especially in a show like Northern Exposure, where it's a little more drawn out, a little slower paced, um, you know, gives you time to kind of take in the scenery. And there's nothing particularly wrong with this scene. Um, it's beautiful. Like the way it's shot is essentially a two shot between Joel and Maurice. And in the background, it's this beautiful landscape. I think they're on the golf course at the time. Um, so we get this beautiful background, two characters talking. And most of the times that'll work for me, but for some reason, maybe it's the writing, maybe it's the acting. I I imagine the reason they shot this scene in this manner is because maybe they're running out of time, so they didn't have a lot of ways to set it up. Um, Or the worst case scenario would be like the director didn't really have any great inspiration. Again, (laughs) maybe this this is just my subjective opinion, but the scene was pretty stale for me. Um, I don't know if you recall it, but it's it's when Joel asks Maurice if he'll sing at the wedding. I can't remember exactly what they say. It's probably, it's it's one of the least memorable parts of the episode and kind of feels like it could have been cut out maybe because yeah. we understand that Maurice doesn't want to sing at the wedding. So you could yeah. have probably skimmed over it.
0: The, yeah, I completely agree. And I do remember that scene in question you're talking about. It's not memorable at all. They're just, just on the golf course. It just feels a little bland or something. It is. And I don't know if they were trying to set up exposition dialogue to, or uh, to explain that Hauling and Maurice do not get along, but we as an audience member already understood that. I don't think they needed that. And you're right. They could have just edited episode product would have been the same.
1: Should we get to the final wedding or?
0: Yeah, let's go to the final wedding. Hauling is there now.
1: Yeah, he's returned and he wants to re, he asks Shelly to re-marry him. Um, Yes. And she agrees. uh, And we're back in the church. Uh, Maurice is singing uh, awfully, actually. I don't know if we've actually seen, this is the first time we see, Marie singing. Shelley's kind of Shelley has sort of built him up in this episode. He's like, "We, I always loved your singing." Yes. And then when we actually hear Marie singing, it's pretty god awful. Though, but he's singing uh, show tunes. Go ahead.
0: I well, I well, he's singing a song. Is he it's, not singing show tunes? He is What's not he actually. I had to look it up, but the song that he is singing is from the Mersey Beats. Actually. What is that? What is it? The Mersey Beats. His old Beats. old band from the nineteen sixties. Quick correction. The tune Maurice is singing in the wedding is called Hello, Young Lovers, and it was covered by the Mersey Beats, but it originally was from The King and I. Way to stay in character, Maurice. Yeah, I mean, for for some reason, I uh, I guess correctly that he would be a terrible singer.
1: Yeah, you not knew it. <laughs> I was
0: just like, oh, he's, I bet he's really terrible. Yeah, it. well, you but, called
1: it. Um, <laughs> I also... So, oh, go on. I love... Um, I love Chris's sort of like garb in this scene. He's again, he's like the ordained minister of the deal, mm-hmm. and he's got that Steve Jobs, just that really like, sort of like the turtleneck. That's and the what Steve I Jobs instantly glasses. thought of him as. I was like,
0: oh, he looks like Steve Jobs. Yeah, Chris, you know, he gives off that mannerism, very yeah. wise, very sage, Zen. Yeah, Zen, uh, he's just. Offbeat and peculiar, a little bit like Steve. Although I would imagine uh, less mercurial than yeah.
1: Steve. Yes, Chris never seems to lose his temper.
0: Yeah, um. and he's giving off the vows and he's asking, "What? Uh, yeah, uh, what do you
1: what do you think the outcome here? Like, what happens?"
0: So basically, she, uh, he asks if Shelly will take Holling to be her husband, and she says yes. But then when it comes to Holling's turn, he's he waits. He doesn't know how to respond, and I think the thing that triggers him. To have that response is that he says, Till death do us part. Ah. And earlier in the episode, yeah. the reason that Holling doesn't want to marry Shelley isn't for necessarily a very selfish reason. It's because, like we talked about, apparently the uh his lineage could live up to hundreds of years old. Like 120 or something, or what does he say? 104, 104. and 108, okay. I think, respectively. But the wives of them always die when they're in their mid forties, leaving a sixty-year gap, and they never remarry. Uh, yeah. Accordingly, they are a one-woman clan. Yeah. So he either doesn't want her to die, based on some weird belief that if you marry me, you will die at mid forties, or he—he he
1: doesn't want to like leave the child yeah. without a mom, I guess. Exactly. I don't know.
0: It's it's a really weird reason to be yeah. honest. It makes no sense.
1: But in the end, they aren't married, but they are. Like exactly. they go outside and sort of like because because Holling says, "Shelly, I wonder if I could talk to you privately instead of saying I do." He's like, "Shelly, can we can we just talk outside for a second? They walk outside and everyone like runs to the windows. They're trying to like like see that. what's going on outside. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and yeah, it's like some weird like new agey sort of like progressive style of like they're married, but they're not, I guess
0: they might as well be married for the tax purposes. Yeah. At this point, really, (laughs) I don't understand. Honestly, that's the thing that confuses me the most in this episode is that I don't really get the reason why he's not marrying her. Like I understand why he's hesitant because of these, uh, what happened to his father and his grandfather, their wives died early on, but Number one, that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to happen to you. And number two, even if it does, I, who, who, I yeah. mean, who
1: really
2: cares? I don't know. Like, I guess
1: I guess the show is just trying to do something, either to subvert our expectations or trying to do something non-traditionally. Like it's it's sort of like an anticlimactic ending, but you know, the- for for what it's worth, like they're married. Like there's yeah. no there's no doubt that they're not going to stay together for the rest of the series you know yeah you're
0: right and one thing that popped into my head and it wasn't until my second watching of this episode is that I have to remember that this is actually just a sitcom and in a lot of sitcoms large drastic things will happen in them but mm-hmm. at the end of them they'll revert back to, to normal. status quo to status yeah. quo so
1: you're right I guess like I I, 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 I Were they trying to do that? Were they trying to reset it back to status quo? Yeah, maybe it's like, because I wouldn't say that this, I mean, this episode obviously is about a wedding, but it's not like the wedding episode. Exactly. Because sometimes there's these long running sitcoms where two characters get married and it's a big event, but this is the fourth episode. So it's like in the first season. Uh, So it's not marketed or it wasn't like conceived as like, oh, this is the episode where the two main characters get married. This is just another episode that reverts to the status quo. So I think you're right there, maybe in that line of thinking where, you know, they don't get married in the end. It's sort of like reverts to a status quo.
0: Yeah. They were doing that on purpose. And I don't know why it didn't I didn't catch that until the second watching. And I think it's because I don't think of this as a traditional sitcom.
1: Yeah. I I, I think I'm glad that you said this show is a sitcom. I think it definitely is a situational comedy, I guess, if you wanted to describe it that way. And it has a lot of comparisons to sitcoms, but by and large, it doesn't feel like one um, in, in a lot of ways.
0: Right, so all the rules of standard sitcoms can be thrown out the window, which is why I almost took the marriage to be very serious, which is why possibly we're overanalyzing
1: this as to why they're
0: not getting married. <laughs> yeah, but
1: no, that's s- what we're doing here. That's our point. That's our whole mission, you know. But we're still,
0: like to- I, I feel like they should be married you know, it's just yeah. really good it's for like, taxes. I don't, I don't
1: get what's, I don't yeah, I don't get why they're trying so hard not to be married. The writers are like, no, we can't have them married. Let's figure out a way to have them married, but not. Um, I love the ending of this scene. Um, Ruth Ann, I believe, has the line that was the most beautiful non-ceremony I ever yes. saw. <laughs> and then Marilyn immediately follows up. Uh, Marilyn, Joel's uh, assistant, she says she's almost as tall as he is. <laughs> Which I don't know, like, it's just sort of like a non-remark. It's just like, it's a non-sequitur, but I just love like little non-sequiturs, you know?
0: Do you think she meant it as, oh, she's pretty much the same quote-unquote adult as he is? Like, oh. even though there's a huge age difference,
1: there
0: That's really isn't in,
1: yeah. in uh, mental. I can't help but try to like ascribe... Um, sage wisdom to anything that the Native Americans in this show say. You know, like they always, they anytime they always say something sort of like uh, in episode two, think mm-hmm. like a fish, you know? Yeah. Anytime they say something, I always try to find the deeper meaning. But sometimes um, there
0: isn't. Maybe like, yeah. Yeah, sometimes
1: it's just a simple non sequitur that, I don't know, for whatever reason, that's kind of a perfect line for me. Um, it has n- seemingly no bearing and maybe there is a deeper meaning to it. I like your uh, read into that but also it's just kind of like sort of like a an interesting, uh, it's just an interesting observation, I guess. I think they would
0: call that a button. Is yeah. that not what they're called? It's a nice button.
1: Yeah. I guess, is that a thing that you that happens at weddings where the height of the groom and the bride is that a common comparison drawn at weddings? I think in people's minds. Yeah, I don't <laughs> think
0: I don't think it's very polite to point it out if there's a huge well, so height difference. That is funny. Especially that the, she
1: points it out. Yeah, especially yeah. if
0: the woman is much taller than the man. I mean, yeah, most yeah, people, yeah, You're right. You're right. Most people see that and they don't voice. They don't it. point it out. Yeah. Not that
1: there's anything wrong with
0: that. I no, have to no, 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 preface yeah.
1: that. But, but um, but yeah, that's funny. Okay.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So then we go toward the very ending scene. Yeah, of the episode. I think it's funny.
1: Uh, Maurice and Joel have their final meeting. And it's revealed to Joel that the businessmen are out. And Joel's mm-hmm. like, wait, what? How did you bomb it that bad? Um, I really love Ed enters the scene and uh, he's like um, trying to uh, – we talked about this. He's trying to tell Joel about the mildewy uh, astroturf that they laid out. Mm-hmm. Um, but he doesn't realize that Maurice is there at first. And he's like, oh, uh, hello, Maurice should I get lost? Like, <laughs> like, you know, he's just ready to just like Maurice is just wailing on him. I'm sure.
0: Yeah. I'm sure Maurice has always yelled at him often based on Ed's uh, head. In, what, what is that called? Head in the air. Head in the clouds. Head in the clouds. There we go. Yeah. Yeah. His head in the clouds approach to life. And Maurice is not about that. So he's probably told him to scramble a lot of times, mm-hmm. but I like that. The uh, Joel's world is uh, grumbling. It's grumbling. What happened? Yeah.
1: Tell me about your thoughts on this final scene.
0: Well, once again, it's reverting back to the status quo. Mm-hmm. You're not getting the resort. Yeah. Joel's not getting one year being reduced from his sentence.
1: Um, yeah, he's on the phone or he gets a phone call from Elaine, Elaine. his fiance. Mm-hmm. And it's it's a great sort of crane up shot um, where uh, by the end of the scene, the camera is rising and rising and Joel gets, you know, smaller, more pressure on top of him. He seems very... uh his, his attempts at life seem very futile. I didn't that. Crumbling. That's, yeah, typically um, a higher angle of the camera uh-huh. um, means sort of like a less power of the subject. So when you photograph someone from a higher angle, um, it's sort of like robbing that subject of power. Uh, inversely, if you shoot from a lower angle, they look tougher and larger um, when the camera's below them and they seem like more powerful. So a lot of times in a dialogue, um, a director might, Shoot, like if someone has uh, the upper hand in the scene, they might be covered in a low angle, and the person with the, you know, who gets the crap end of the stick is covered with a higher angle, um, sort of that power balance. Uh, Sometimes Mm. characters are sitting down if they're a little more. Subservient. I don't know what the word would be.
0: Yeah, um, yeah. Subservient could be. a word. If someone's
1: in control. They're standing as opposed to sitting down. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of times you could you can do a lot with that information. You yeah, can I flip did. the. You can sort of like flip the intention there. Um,
0: I didn't catch that, and that makes complete total sense. Yeah, in this taught, application. Yeah, in this application, being taught uh, film techniques,
1: but Lee. Like, <laughs> uh, yeah, right here. And this, yeah, in this scene, Joel has lost it all. He's lost the resort. Um, he's talking to Elaine who I guess gives him some bad news about his, uh, contract. And, uh, the final scenes, the final shot of this episode. What do we see, Charles? We finally see it. The one and the only. <laughs> we finally see it. <laughs> it's the moose, the mythic, the legend, the moose is, has finally appeared just this moose walking around downtown Sicily, or I guess main street Sicily. Joel is alone in this like blue, uh, sort of nighttime uh, situation, and got a moose walking down Main Street.
0: Yeah, and I, from what we can gather as an audience member, it's the first time that Joel has seen the moose. Yeah, I mean, it's the first time that
1: we've seen the moose too. Like, no, yeah. <laughs> what's going on here? It's all over the title sequence, and this does, is what we get it uh, the first time we get it. Uh, episode four.
0: I'm curious. Does this moose have a large bearing on the show? That's what I'm very. Do you please want don't me to spoil, tell you. Please don't spoil. I
1: kind of just want to tell you. Uh, okay. Uh, I love spoiling stuff. So if you really don't want it to be spoiled, you got to stop <laughs> me now. But I'm gonna steamroll through it. No, right. there's no more moose in the show. What? As far as I can remember, this is the one and only time, besides the uh, the title sequence, that they had a moose. Why does
0: the <laughs> show? Why, why does this episode end with the scene with the moose dead? I thought it had a large bearing. Like. Yeah. I, I thought the know. moose
1: would be in the next shot of
0: the for, I mean, for episode five. Yeah, be like, like, literally on. it picks
1: up from like the next morning and the yeah. moose is still there. Um no man. Uh like I, I guess the signage of the moose in the opening titles of this show is I I would assume just because it's sort of a symbol of the north and of Canada, you get I I guess is that like a very Canadian or oh, a yeah. very like northern animal is this moose? Mm-hmm. Um unfortunately, no. There's not a lot of Meese, not a lot of mooses Mies. in this. That's uh, the plural. Yeah, that's the plural. Uh
0: that's disappointing.
1: Yeah, and especially since a ruined. lot of people, a lot of I, I'm assuming you really enjoyed the title sequence, and a lot of people who um, have commented and been guests uh, guests on this show have commented on their their um, their intrigue and the appreciation moose. of the moose in the title, the music and the moose. Yeah. Um. I mean, let's keep a tally, but I don't think we're going to see very many more moose oh, that's sad
0: yeah. all right. we made it
1: episode four finally we get the moose um i do think it's um it's not like a strong ending necessarily but it's an interesting one like how else would you end this episode
0: i really wouldn't know either yeah and i thought about that too if it wasn't for that moose because yeah because <laughs> it's such a it's so left field yeah that when you watch it you're just thinking like oh well that's one way to end it yeah i mean like it's it's outlandish all right let's just mm-hmm. end it this way Otherwise, it would have been really depressing. It would have just been Joel sitting in his office like, turning uh, off that lamp and then, and the, then that...
1: Joel if, Brand and Joshua Fauci. That, that would have been so the, depressing. Um,
0: what what yeah. could have actually happened after that scene is a huge, like, a gunshot during, like,
1: the <laughs> Oh, flag. no!
0: I mean, you're oh. just going with episode
1: three. You're oh, just going along on. with that. <laughs> well, we need to put more trigger warnings on this show. Um, Seriously. <laughs> but, uh... I do, I do like the score that accompanies the moose scene. It's like this very uh, jazzy clarinet, yeah, you know, New York, New Yorky sort of uh, style of jazz music. Do you think
0: it's a juxtaposition between Joel's New York heritage and him being here?
1: I think for sure. Yeah, I think. I guess if I had to analyze this final closing scene, it's uh, just kind of reestablish the status quo, as you said, of uh, Joel not being able to leave Alaska, ah, as so much as he tries to escape with golf or any other means. Mentally or physically, just trying to get out of uh, trying to get out of Alaska. Well, I was just going to say, um that kind of brings us to the end of episode four uh, how do you feel so far um with of the show? you know,
0: I'm, uh, yeah, well, like you said earlier, how this one might be your least like episode, I would have to say that this one is. Also one of my least like ones.
1: Um, kind of makes your skin crawl. A it
0: really does. And I feel like it would have made your skin crawl in 1992. Yeah. Um, 1990 the, as well. As well. Yes. Uh, and in 1992
1: 1990. the year. Yeah. Two years um, later, you also would have. Two years similar. later. It's so weird. So, um, yeah, I, I will say one, maybe one of the um, problems with this episode is it lacks a uh, heavy Joel, um, Maggie. I was going to say that as I well. I mean, there is, there is some in there but it doesn't really... I think the the episodes that feature more Maggie and feature more Chris are some of my favorites. Um,
0: yes, I would agree too. And I would say that the reason that this episode doesn't as well is not a home run is because it shows no growth on Joel. It's almost like watching those old roadrunner cartoons yeah. where uh, the coyote tries to get the roadrunner and he never succeeds. And you just yeah. go on to watch another episode and you watch his crazy antics. This one just seems like, oh, let's see how Joel can get out of his contract. And yeah. of course, you know, he doesn't catch, thing. he doesn't catch the uh, roadrunner.
1: We've talked and, about this in other episodes of this podcast where sometimes at the end of an episode, you can, uh you can make the assumption that, yeah, Joel, uh, Sicily is sort of like rubbing off on Joel a little bit. Yeah. So you do see, you know, not extraordinary growth, but you can see how Sicily can shape uh, this kind of like brash New Yorker um, who has his own very specific characterization and Mm -hmm. he's kind of like fish out of water, learning new things about himself and the world by being in a small town. Um, But yeah, unfortunately... I think uh, you had a very good point. This episode doesn't have a lot of that growth. Uh, yeah, it's a disappointing
0: one, but that's <laughs> not going to deter me. Okay. Uh, like, I still want to see what happens on onwards to episode five.
1: But yeah, we'll get there. But before we do that, um, you know, you know the drill. We always uh, try to find a new specimen, I guess, as you could say. Okay, don't call him specimen. <laughs> that's one of our friends who has never ever watched a single episode. We want to get their take as an outsider, clean slate, um, fresh opinions. And so, Charles, we got one of your friends. You want to kind of give me a brief introduction to who our guest is today?
0: So, our guest today is going to be Ty, and I met him through college, actually. We were both accounting buddies. We took accounting classes together. I'm actually an accountant, or uh, my degree is in accounting, and his degree is in accounting. So, I just met him through there, and uh, he has similar taste in television as well. And yeah, I was going to
1: say, do you think this is a show that he would he would pick out? And I watch? think so. Okay.
0: Honestly, I really feel like this is a television show that he would like, and I'm really curious to what he has to say about this because I have not listened to what he has. Here
2: we go. Let's listen to it. All right, you ready? Yeah. All right, I'm playing it. Hey, this is Ty, and here are my thoughts on Northern Exposure episode four. So. First off, I thought it was 22 minutes long, and it turned out to be an hour, but that was okay. Um, I'm glad there was no laugh track involved. That would have been horrible, in my opinion. Um, To be honest, I had more questions in the beginning, Um, but by the end, I was starting to just enjoy it for what it was, especially with the 18-year-old girl and the old man love triangle going on with Hollis and Maurice. I found that pretty fascinating. I did enjoy the character, the main character, the doctor, and uh, his little, little love, sexual tension with the uh, the short-haired girl. I don't remember her name. Um, my personal favorite character was Ed, the Keanu-esque. Uh, He seemed kind of like a lughead, but at the same time, maybe he's like a low-key genius. I'm not entirely sure. Uh, So, But I think what really hit it home for me was the character of Hollis. Uh, Holling, I I don't remember exactly, but he was a very charming old man. and, And I really bought into his story, even though his story wasn't really... Maybe fully fleshed out. Also, is he the mayor? I'm not sure. But yeah, overall, it's a surprisingly good show. I thought that I might by the end of by the beginning of it, I was like, okay, this is good, this is good. But by the end of it, I was like, wow, I could actually see myself watching this for a while in its entirety. So overall, episode four, pretty good, pretty solid. I liked it. I found it very funny at times. And extremely charming and extre- and somewhat progressive too. It felt had a lot of progressive themes, especially for the early 90s. So uh, yeah, I'll do a rewatch and uh, I give it I give it a solid thumbs up. So there is my review.
1: Yeah, I really liked uh, Ty's thoughts on this episode. I particularly liked his characterization of Ed. Um, yes being a Keanu-esque that hits <laughs> the nail on the head and uh sort of like a low-key genius of sorts
0: How, yeah I'm I am actually very surprised that he was able to gather that much about Ed yeah in a in episode, episode that he he has no context on who any of the characters are but yeah. he's
1: able to gather that which means that there must be a lot of ex I mean We're not, I'm not really noticing it because we've seen seen all these episodes and and it's been a minute since I've watched this episode actually, but uh, yeah, there must be some exposition kind of baked into this episode.
0: Which just means that it's good writing if they're able to give off the characterizations that well, rather than be like, oh, it's a total uh, jerk. He actually can realize that, yeah, he actually is a very insightful person, which yeah, just, I did not get from this episode because...
1: He doesn't I, have as much screen time, maybe? No,
0: he's really just a messenger. Yeah. Just going back and forth. It wasn't but he's just like, such
1: a great, uh, a well-crafted character. Uh, props to the actor, too. I yes. mean, it's not just the writing, but the actor knows uh, how to play the character, you know, really yeah. well.
0: What I, else? I, we got to keep a running count on uh, how all of our guests can never get... Any of the, the characters', characters that, names, right? Which I do not blame them. Yeah. I do not because Hollis.
1: I think, that was so funny. Hollis.
0: I, even now, I have to think, what, what is the name his of Holling? Name? I was like, Holland I know Vickor. it starts with an H. Like, I was like, H-Man. Come on. H-Man. H-Boy. So I really, really like that. He brought up an interesting <laughs> point that we've never talked about yeah. before, which is the laugh track.
1: Well, there is no laugh track. The lack I, of I, laugh ha- track. Yeah. He's like, I'm, I'm happy. Or Ty said he was happy that there is no laugh track. Uh, yeah. I mean, we talked about this uh, last episode. Um, Is the show a comedy? Is it a drama? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Props to the show that it doesn't have a laugh track. Yeah. That would definitely ruin. ruin, I I uh, agree. So ruin the fun.
0: What's crazy is that I don't know how network negotiations work, but I know for the early nineties, many, uh, many television shows had a laugh track that the creators did not want a laugh track but it was In just it. sort
1: of like the the network. Uh, yeah, wanted they bullied their way mandated
0: into mandated. Uh, One example off the top of my head, Sports Night.
1: with yeah. Aaron, Sorkin. Aaron Sorkin's first show. Um, and that is a it laugh started track. with the laugh track, and it, then sort of like halfway through, they they took out the laugh track. Thankfully,
0: yes, it faded out, but it was with the network's insistent, insistence insistence. That they add a laugh track to the beginning of it, even though and it the like sort didn't. of
1: functions as a show that would have a laugh track. But once you take that laugh track out, it, somehow the jokes are way better. They're, it's just the writing just feels better without the laugh track. Well, can you picture Northern Exposure with a laugh track? Well, the thing is, like Northern Exposure is is obviously no, I can't. Uh, but the, <laughs> but the thing about Northern Exposure, it's like it's a much longer format. I don't think it's the type of sitcom. I know we said in this episode that. I liked how you termed it as a sitcom, but it's not what you would picture necessarily. In the same way, it's not it's not sort of like the um, three camera setup, uh, you know, in front of a live audience type show. Obviously not. It's very um, sort of manicured in a way. These, like we said, these beautiful landscape shots, mm-hmm. lots of great dollying and camera movement and blocking. Um, it's a little more artistic, I guess. Yeah, you're completely
0: right. Um, yeah, I think that he had a lot of great. great- Observations as well.
1: Yeah, I, I I'm interested. I don't think we've um, had a guest on yet that said they dislike the show, and I love the show. So I'm not, you know, I, I would believe I would believe it if someone who has never seen the mm-hmm. show watches it and has a great opinion of it. But I just want to, I I can't wait to have a guest who's just gonna like totally like Eviscering bash it. the show. <laughs> yeah, I want to I want to hear what the problems are because for me, I I talked about already how much the scene with Maurice and, and Shelly is just disturbing to me. And I think Ty picks up on that. Yeah. He ends up, he does really appreciate Holling's charm as a, as a charming old man. Um, but it was kind of this uh, uh, unsettling love triangle between in <laughs> and, and he, Ty verifies that she's an 18 year old Shelly. Yes, Shelley. we got outside confirmation now. <laughs> yeah. So at least you have, yeah, you have some, uh, you have a second source.
0: Yeah. And I agree too on that. Well, though I think, uh, my theory is yeah. that people are just being polite.
1: Yeah, I'm. I try whenever I ask someone to to be a guest. I'm. I try to to ask for an honest critique. Um, maybe I'll have to make that a little more clear because um, I I really do want to hear what the problems are with each episode because I think. Particularly for this episode, we ha- we had a lot to talk about, you know, mm-hmm. whenever we talked about the things that we didn't like.
0: Yeah. And he came in and he didn't die, didn't have anything bad to say about it. In yeah, fact, nothing like supremely
1: it. negative. I think he right. I think one of his only sort of critique at first was that it maybe took him a minute to catch on to sort of like the exposition. Like, you know, yes. he, he ended up saying that he was keyed in by the end. Like he kind of figured out what was going on. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, Which we're doing on purpose to yeah, these guests. We want to see We're it. dropping them off in the middle of nowhere and be yeah, like, all right, find
1: your way show, back to the city. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Does this show hold up uh, without context? And uh, I guess it does. In, in Ty's case, yeah. he was able to pick up. Well, yeah, man. Episode four, mm-hmm. dreams, schemes, putting greens, halfway through the first season. Can't um, believe we're already halfway through. Halfway mark. Because it's only eight episodes. Yeah, it's a short first season. Oh my gosh, um, so we'll be there in no time, and uh, I'm not gonna let you leave, Charles. You got to stick around at least through the first season. All right. Uh, I know I keep making it seem like you're gonna run away, but I think I think you enjoy this. Enough,
0: yeah, right? I, I I'm genuinely curious what happens to Joel at this point, especially at the end of season one, because usually, yeah, you know, some sort of like cliffhanger or like yeah, something entice leave, to entice you to want to watch season two. So I'm wondering what what. It's going to happen at the end of this.
1: I'm excited for the rest of this season and I'm excited for season two as well. Like I want to, I want to see how your opinion shapes itself throughout this season and what's going to happen next season. Yeah. But, um, for now, uh, we're moving on. Next episode is number five, the Russian flu. Ooh. So we got coming up, uh, one of my favorite episodes. So stick around. All right. Well, thanks for potting with me, man. Thanks Charles. And uh, I'll see you next time.
0: Northern Overexposure podcast is edited by Lee. Our theme song was remixed by Matt Jackson. Thanks to Laser Kitties for the podcast artwork. And thanks to Ty for watching the show and being our guest analyst. Ty told me his favorite television show is King of the Hill. Fantastic choice. And of course, thank you for listening.